This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I got a message. Please don't mess this up. I really don't enjoy seeing this go the wrong way. We could end this clean without anyone knowing. Message me back as you see this. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek, and I am sitting here with Alexis Linkletter, and I am fresh off the plane. I am jet-lagged, so this is going to be an interesting episode. Honestly, you're way more together than I was expecting. For having landed mere kind of hours ago, yeah, you're fresh. You were up early. I saw you went to Starbucks. You you hit the ground running. I know. I missed Starbucks a lot. Like, I love a lot of things about traveling, but I really miss my American food, Yeah, which is like, it's kind of embarrassing as an American because our food is probably the least interesting thing about us. But like, I really needed that Starbucks. And McDonald's. Old habits die hard. And you know what? McDonald's is better in the States, I will have to say. Really? That doesn't surprise me. It just didn't hit the same way as a French McDonald's did. Sure. That makes (laughs) sense. Well, what day is it today, Jacqueline? Okay. So today there is... It's my favorite day of the year because it is National French Friday. Speaking That's of perfect. McDonald's. It's so I want everybody timing. to go out there and get yourself a nice, large, salty French fry with some nice McDonald's ketchup. Sounds incredible. Doesn't that sound incredible? I'm going to do that today. You should. Yeah. Um, the other day, and I'm so glad that I now am checking You know the, the background of these days. It's called Fool's Paradise Day. Do you want to know what that is? I absolutely do. So Fool's Paradise is from William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, and it's a phrase that means a state of happiness based on belief, denial, or false hope. Those in a fool's paradise become happy by basing their hopes on false facts. This only brings short-term happiness until the truth is revealed. False promises, false cures from diseases, and other scams can bring people into a fool's paradise. Oh my gosh. I know. I don't want to be in a fool's paradise ever, but I probably have been. And will be again. I think we're all kind of living in a fool's paradise of just being like, yeah, it's all okay as the world is like crashing and burning around us. Because we're all really in the matrix and that's the big secret. We are in a simulation, as we've said many times. But um, I think that that is enough of that. So let's turn in the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. So you all know how the show works. We start with the date where the crime we're discussing today occurred. And our first degree for today's episode is named Christy. And when I asked her when this happened, here's what she said. I'm like extremely organized and like type A. I literally have his messages pulled up to me from July 7th, 2010. 
Uh, extreme organization, truly a woman of my own heart. Yeah. And Christy is actually a woman of my own heart as well, because I've known her for maybe at least a decade, maybe 15 years. Christy was an emo girl. I met her, I think, at Warp Tour, like back in the day. I probably sold her a lot of Jack Vanek t-shirts. She has a Jack Vanek tattoo. Oh my gosh, we love Christy. Yes, she is the best. I love her so, so much. But like she said, today's case takes us back to July 7th of 2010. And the top song on the radio was Katy Perry's California Girls, followed by Usher's OMG and Haley Williams' Airplanes. The Twilight Saga's Eclipse was number one in theaters, followed by Despicable Me. And as far as the world of emo music is going, like this was my golden age. And on July 7th, 2010, I was probably at Warp Tour selling t-shirts out of my tent. This is honestly all aligning and we're super excited to be telling Christy's story today. So as far as location for today's case, we're not going to designate a geographical one because the criminal activity we're discussing was facilitated by the abyss that is the internet. Christy was early in her high school years in 2010 and was very much already engaged with the online world. My parents had never had a webcam, so they just bought me a laptop that happened to have a webcam built into it. They you know, didn't know a lot about social media. I really grew up on social media and took advantage of the lack of boundaries, I think. I mean, I was also a child. So I just was under the impression that I was talking to all of these people that were my age and liked these things. In 2010, in terms of social media, this was kind of the weird interim phase where we were phasing out of MySpace and into Facebook and Tumblr and those kind of websites. And also, I do want to make a note in 2010, if you were in the emo world, this is when Is Anyone Up was started. And that was a revenge porn website by this fucking piece of shit, Hunter Moore. It's not exactly related to the story, but it is thematically. Right. And today's case didn't start on MySpace or AIM, or LiveJournal, or Tumblr, or even Facebook? It started on Stickam, which was very present in that emo alternative scene. That was a scene that I was in. So what is Stickam exactly? So Stickam was a live streaming video website that launched in 2005. It featured user-submitted pictures, audio, video, and most prominently live streaming video chat. And a lot of emo kids used this streaming service. And it quickly expanded to include live shows and produce content from MTV, G4 TV, CBS Radio, and many others, as well as live performances and shows with numerous musicians and celebrities. And the name Stickam referred to this ability to stick a webcam feed onto another site. Stickam was a webcam chat room type site. So you could host a chat room and you're on webcam. There's an option for maybe, I think it was about eight people to join on webcam. And there's also what they would call lurkers, meaning it would show you that X amount of people are watching your stream, but they aren't logged in. I guess it might be kind of like Twitch, but creepier because of the time. Okay. In terms of the lurkers Chrissy is describing, I kind of imagine that kind of like how you see people are watching when people go live on Instagram. So a couple people can be going live together and then you can see how many people are watching, you know, your interaction. So that's sort of how I imagine it, except these are semi-private webcam rooms that people could lurk on when we're talking about Stickam and what Christy was doing. I personally would talk to a lot of my friends on there, but we would have 
basically these live chat rooms where maybe we're on webcam together just chatting and then other people are joining and talking. It was like the original live stream kind of just just hanging out and talking. So in that scene, you know, I would meet people on there that liked the same music as me and would chat with them. And there were legit people that I became friends with. But the internet at that time was very new. It was just, yeah, talking to people, talking to guys, you know, being a teenager, wanting attention, that kind of thing. Okay, we've set the stage. You know what that means, y'all. To get to the background, we got to go back. We're going back to the year before the crime, which was 2009. And at the time, Christy was already very much in the throes of her emo phase, which I obviously love. And she was familiarizing herself with the StickAmp platform. And one night, Christy and her best friend were enjoying a quiet night in, messing around on the internet, as one obviously does in high school. Some guys they were friends with from school were also on StickAm that night, so they all joined a video chat room. I was on webcam with my best friend, and we were just goofing around, you know, laughing, talking about music, all that stuff. And some guys that we knew joined the room, so guys that I knew in real life. I think we were 14 And we were joking around. And even though those guys were on camera, there are other people that are able to be watching it, right? Uh, Which I am well aware of now. Right. The lurkers. So these guys that we know in real life are joking around with us, tell us to flash the camera. I did it. And my best friend did not. It was a really quick thing. So Christy briefly flashed the camera. And then she didn't really give this playful moment a second thought. She was 14 years old, just a child. And for her age at that time, it's normal for teens to experiment with their sexuality. The two besties continued on with their fun night in. And Christy flashing the camera was an inconsequential moment in time. The next day, they woke up and carried on. Days passed, and the days continued to unfold as normal. But now, let's fast forward to one year later. And then I didn't think about it until I got this message uh, in 2010. A year later, Christy wasn't thinking about that night that she spent on Stickham. In fact, she'd all but forgotten about it. But then one day when she was at the mall with her friends, she was abruptly reminded. I was out with my friends. I remember that really well. And I got a message from a random girl on Facebook that I didn't know. And she asked me if I was going to be around in two hours or so and that she needed to talk to me for 10 minutes. And I just replied and said, um, do I know you? This message came from the profile of a woman who she didn't know at all. And off the bat, Christy could tell that the message didn't appear to come from a native English speaker. So why was this person messaging her? Christy, being at the mall with her friends and being really distracted, didn't respond and brush the message off. But next time she checked her phone, she had yet another message from yet another stranger. But this time, the strange message was from a strange man. And then he messaged me. Do you want me to read you the messages? Christy read the very same messages she received that day. And also included in the original messages were media links to photos and videos. The messages read as follows. Okay, then this is like this. I would ask you to read this whole message carefully. First of all, let me say I think you're really cute. Those next image links are for your eyes only, so you might want to check them out once you're alone. So I remember reading the message and being like, I don't even know what this is, and just kind of ignoring it. At the time, we didn't have internet on our cell phones the way that we do now. And I got the message, so the message was texted to me, so I could read the message, but I couldn't click the links. 
until I was home. And once Christy got home, she could see what these links actually were. I remember clicking on the pictures and freaking out. As you see, I have this full video of you topless showing your boobs. I saved your entire friends list to a text file. And as you see, it would be very easy for me to send that video to whoever I want. And then he actually sent me a screen grab of him drafting a message with the photos to one of my Facebook friends. It's screen grabs with my face in it, my friend's face in it, my breasts in it. So this guy had been one of the lurkers in the Stickam video chat room the previous year, and he had filmed the whole thing, including the part where Christy quickly flashed the camera. This guy had the video of Christy, and he was threatening to send it to everybody on her Facebook friends list. And the messages and threats didn't stop there. I could also post that video on a public site like this one, for example. The website is uh, www.camwins.com. Once I post it on there, thousands of people will see it and I won't be able to undo it and that will kind of suck. I will not do that as I will gain nothing from it. I will not post it to anyone if you read this carefully and understand what I'm after here. So this dude was not only threatening to send this video to everyone on Christie's Facebook friends list, but he was also threatening to post the video on various public sites. The stranger continued to send Christie messages. So the only thing I'm after is getting you on cam for myself this time. We'll cam together for an hour or so. I'll ask to enjoy your smoking body and see a little bit more of you. And when we're all done, I'll go away and you'll never see me again. And no one will know about this other than myself and you. This man still wasn't done. He had demands and he made the terms extremely clear. I'm not really here to ruin your life. I'm just here to enjoy you for a bit. What I'll ask that you do is get on my own account I created on Stickam and we'll cam one-on-one. I'll give you that info later. That's all I want to cam for a bit, then I'm gone. I'm really not here to ruin your life, just to enjoy a bit. Now read this. If you ignore me and don't message me back, I'll have to post the video. If you delete your Facebook account or Stickam and ignore me, I'll post the video. If you bullshit me with some stories about how your cam broke and your dad's a cop, I'll post the video. So it's either you cam with me and only both of us will know about it, and I've already seen you naked. Or if you refuse, I'll need to post that video on that site I showed you and a bunch of other sites, and then a zillion internet freaks will see it and come looking for you. And also to your entire friends list on here, which I saved. So even if you delete your Facebook, it won't stop me from starting to send to all of your friends. I think you should be smart and just cam with me like I asked. If you will only please my desire, all will be over quickly as if nothing happened. That's all. I expect to hear from you as soon as possible. Return back to me and we will go live, friends only on Stickam, like I said. And I'll tell you how we are going to do this. Please don't mess this up. I really don't enjoy seeing this go the wrong way. We could end this clean without anyone knowing. Message me back as you see this. Once Chrissy wrapped her head around what was going on, her confusion turned to fear. This guy is saying that the only way Christy could prevent him from sending this video of her all over the internet and to everyone she knew would be for her to webcam with him so he could watch her perform sexual acts. So I was really confused. I honestly remember being like, what? And then I kind of go back and forth being like, I don't like, who are you? I was just perplexed. And but I was also just so scared so so afraid and violated and just so freaked out 
Remember, this happened when Christy was 14 years old, and this would be terrifying for anybody, let alone a child. Christy couldn't understand how a stupid night from a year ago is now being used to extort her. That was my first experience with, you know, I guess sending nudes when you're 14, that's pretty young. And to have that come back like that was like the worst case scenario and something that I never even thought was possible. My head was just spinning. I had no idea. I I was so young, so young. I'm like barely getting my period, barely going through puberty. And now I'm dealing with some person sextorting me. Unbeknownst to her, Christy had inadvertently crossed paths with a mega criminal who was in fact sextorting her. So what is sextortion exactly? It does have a legal definition in the dictionary, but it's instead of extorting money, they're extorting sexual favors. So just the act of blackmailing somebody into doing something sexual for you rather than blackmailing somebody for money. According to the FBI's website, sextortion is a serious crime that occurs when someone threatens to distribute your private and sensitive material if you don't provide them images of a sexual nature, sexual favors, or money. The perpetrator may also threaten to harm your friends or relatives by using information they have obtained from your electronic devices unless you comply with their demands. Christy was horrified. Who was this person? Why was he doing this to her? And what did Christy do next? Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 
10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. In 2010, when Christy was 14, she started receiving messages from a man who was threatening to share a video of her flashing the camera from the year prior. He told Christy that the only way she could stop him from spreading this video far and wide would be if she agreed to webcam with him one-on-one so he could watch her perform sexual acts. Christy's confusion turned to fear, then to anguish, then finally transformed to anger. I start messaging him back saying, I'm going to go to the police. I have no clue who you are. Get out of my life. And then he goes on and says, it seems you did not read my first message carefully as I asked you. I clearly stated if you give me the usual police BS, I'm posting the video. I have no fear of your police as I'm not even American. I'm a guy on the other side of the world. I suggest you take 10 minutes and have another read of my first message. You do as I say in there and no one will know about any of this or it's me starting to post that video to your real life friends. So I just start saying... No, no, no. You sit here and tell me you don't want to ruin my life, sending that shit to all my friends and my fucking family. Like, what is wrong with you? You need to hop off my life. There's seriously something wrong with you. I don't understand why you would ever want to do that to someone. That's fucked up. I was like 13 or 14 and it was for attention. I don't do that anymore and I don't plan on doing it with you. So I was very like, go fuck yourself, (laughs) which I laugh at now because I'm just proud of younger me for being able to say that. For as young as Christy was, she had conviction beyond her years. She told this guy to kick rocks and to fuck off. She wasn't going to do as he demanded. And the fact that this guy had this video of her was violating enough. And I asked Christy where she mustered the strength to stand up to him. Not to be like too dark and unrelated, but I actually was raped the few months before he messaged me. And I truly believe that that experience stop me from going through with this because I didn't have any pain left to give this man at that point. So I think I was dealing with a lot of stuff, you know? When I was talking to Christy too, I was remembering what I was like at 14 and I was afraid of adults. I would have listened to what an adult told me as scary or as uncomfortable as it would have been. I was just that sort of kid. So I just really admire how sort of um, independent minded she was and yeah. she handled this like a, like a badass. I mean, there are, I, even as an, I mean, of course, there are so many other cases like this with adults that comply because you're so scared of what the repercussions could be. So, I mean, she was such a badass. I love it. Yeah, she's my hero. And while we may love this and we love her badass response, Christy's bold and defiant response pissed this guy off. He said, enjoy the upcoming events that you could have prevented uploading that video now after it's down and online with direct viewing link. I'm going to start posting here to your friends list. And to think all this could not have happened if you would only cam with me. Tiss, tiss, quite foolish, really. And then I blocked him. I didn't do it. I did not cam with him. Christy told this guy to fuck off. But as I'm sure you've guessed, it's not the end of the story. Not even close. I had this feeling in my stomach 
that he did upload the video to these websites. That was in the back of my mind since I got these messages. And that always bothered me, but I just kind of buried it. And he did not send it to my friends list, but he did upload it all over the dark web, which I learned later on when the FBI knocked on my parents' door. So another time warp. We got to do yet another fast forward. Christie's uncomfortable online encounter with a man who was trying to sextort her was a traumatizing experience. But again, she was in high school when this happened, barely 15. When we're at that age, we don't consider long-term consequences. We're also kind of made to feel ashamed about experimenting with our sexuality. And let's not forget, we're also afraid of getting in trouble with our parents. So while this online encounter rattled and traumatized Christy a lot, she pushed this horrible exchange with a stranger to the back of her mind and tried to forget about it. What was she going to do about it after all? And time started to pass. She had gotten pretty good at compartmentalizing this entire experience until a few years later when she was a junior in high school. At this time, she was hitting all the high school milestones that teens really look forward to. She was getting her footing in the world and gaining some independence. I had my first job as a junior in high school. I was going to junior prom. I played lots of sports. I was applying to colleges. I got accepted to college. I was just planning out the rest of my life. And then this bomb was dropped on me. I didn't forget about it. I just hoped that I blocked him and that was it. And I didn't hear from him again. And then the FBI knocked on my parents' door when I was 17. It was a regular mundane day for Christy when someone came to the door. My dad actually answered the door, which breaks my heart because he was asked to identify me in censored photos by the FBI. I was home, but my dad is kind of a paranoid guy, maybe not in the worst way. And he said, how the hell am I supposed to know if that's the FBI? I told them you were at your friend's house. So they left and I was home, but they didn't speak to me that day. And I will never, ever, ever forget. I was on my laptop in my computer room, as you had back then. And my dad just walking by that room and kind of shaking his head and being like, I really hope you're being careful. And I just kind of knew in that moment, almost, I I don't know, nothing else had ever happened like that. And I just felt like I thought of this immediately. Christy's dad wanted to brief her mom on the situation before sitting down with Christy. And her parents ultimately sat her down to talk to her together. So I just remember my parents sitting me down and I could tell we're going to have a serious conversation. I'm an only child. I'm very close with them. And they told me that the FBI came to our house and asked to identify me in these photos. And they just said, you know, what, what happened? And I just started crying and told them everything. I never told anyone that this happened, that this man blackmailed me. They were just really upset that I felt like I couldn't come to them. They felt like, could we have done something sooner? But they were extremely supportive. You know, they they were on my side from the beginning. They never acted like this was my fault. Thankfully, Christy had parents that would support her through this entire thing. And she would need that support. Because as much as Christy tried to bury the trauma of what happened, she couldn't anymore. Her experience was front and center, equipped with the FBI knocking on her door in the middle of the day. But the question now was... Why was the FBI knocking on her door in the middle of the day? 
And it was at this point that Christy started to learn more about how serious the situation was, and also that she was not the only child that this man preyed upon. After I talked to my parents, the FBI interviewed me at a center for abused children. And that's kind of where I sort of learned the severity of the case. It felt like an episode of Law & Order SVU. It was like a two-way mirror, but there was a lot of stuffed animals because it was for kids, but I was 17. Yeah, I was terrified. It was, I felt like I didn't, I wasn't supposed to be there. I just kept feeling like, why is this so serious? And then they told me that he did upload the videos and that I couldn't get them back. And that's sort of when I learned that I was a victim of child pornography distribution. So it's at this point that Christy learned that this man had, in fact, followed through with at least parts of his threats. And because of Christy's age, this video was rightfully considered child pornography. So how serious was this? Where had this guy published the video? And on how many different sites? That was probably the hardest part of the entire process for me was that they can't quantify it. They have no idea. I tried to get them taken down, but because a lot of this was produced in Israel and it's hosted on Israeli websites or international websites, the American FBI doesn't have jurisdiction there, so they can do what they can, but they can only do so much. So that was kind of the answer I got was, it's out there, but we don't know where it is. If you find it, send us the link and we'll try to get it taken down, but no promises. And that was like the worst thing ever. You know, I mean, I'm just, what if somebody finds those someday? It, it has my first name. It has my face. I learned that this at the time was actually the largest extortion case in the entire FBI. So this was huge for them. As horrifying as all of this news was to Christy, there was some solace in knowing that the FBI was after the guy who did this because this guy had victimized countless children. So here's another question. How would the FBI identified Christy as one of this guy's victims? How many others were there? I learned that the FBI traced my IP address from his computer. And I believe there was about 150 victims all over the United States. So that's why it took them so long to contact me, because they were spending a large bulk of their time on this case, sort of having to track down every victim that he had. This bomb that had been dropped on Christy while she was a junior in high school was understandably difficult for her to process. She had spent years trying to keep the threats of this predator buried in her mind. But now she was equipped with the understanding that this video of her was peppered all over the internet. It was agonizing, it was mortifying, and it was confusing. I feel like I was electronically raped. I don't want that to be minimized. Things happening on the internet, just because he never physically touched me, doesn't mean that he didn't ruin my life just like he promised. And I, I wish people would take it more seriously and just understand the impact that this has on victims. Contactless crimes are, can be just as damaging. Luckily, the FBI seemed to understand the magnitude of what this guy was doing. Christy learned that the FBI was hell-bent on not only identifying this perpetrator, but charging him and bringing him to justice, too, even if he lived in another country. So after being interviewed and briefed on some of the details, Christy had no other choice but to sit tight and wait to hear from them again with news. And it's at this point, Christy learned how slow the cogs of justice sometimes move. I just didn't hear anything for seven years. Fast forward to 
2019. Seven years later in 2019, Christy was out of high school. She was in her 20s and she was living in Los Angeles as an adult. Her parents remained in Pennsylvania where she grew up. My parents live at the same address and in Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm still living out in L.A. and they get a letter in the mail from the FBI. And I asked them to open it for me and send me photos of it. It said that they had finally extradited this guy to the United States. And I hadn't even thought about it like that. So it was just really overwhelming. And then that's when I kind of started to learn the complexities of this case. And exactly how this online predator got on the FBI's radar in the first place and how he was ultimately extradited and charged is a fascinating story. So as we've explained, Christy was one of many victims just like her. And one of the other victims was a high school student in Lakewood, California, which is close to Long Beach and south of Los Angeles proper. So when this particular girl encountered the perpetrator, like Christy, she refused to give in to his demands. And instead, she told her parents. And her parents then reported the extortion attempt to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And thankfully, these sheriffs took this very seriously. They ended up sending Google a search warrant to get the suspect's email. Once they read it and realized that he was writing from Israel, they passed all his evidence along to the FBI. And thankfully, the FBI assigned this case to the perfect agent for the job. Taz Karami. Her full name is Tanaz, T-A-N-A-Z. But Taz is the agent. She started working on this case when she was 27 and worked on it for her entire career. A reporter named Michael Finnegan wrote a great piece for the LA Times profiling Agent Karami's international years-long investigation. And according to the article, the suspect used his main Gmail account to contact the victim from Lakewood, California, which helped them connect a name to their suspect. His name? Elad Gaber. But who was he and where was he? Agent Karami sent search warrants to Facebook and they handed everything over. What Facebook provided in response to the warrant revealed the scope and the depth of Gaber's extortions. He had used 92 aliases to target children in the United States. While the case would span for over more than a decade, Agent Karami did everything she could to expedite the investigation, knowing that every day that passed meant that more children would be exploited and violated by this monster. Right. And Agent Karami, as well as other members of the FBI, were traveling all over the country to meet with victims, to conduct interviews and gather more supporting evidence. And in the meantime, Agent Karami had learned more about the suspect. Elad Gaber was in his 30s and he lived in Jerusalem, Israel. This meant that in order to arrest Gaber, the FBI would need to persuade and work with Israeli law enforcement to apprehend him. Through the FBI's associates in Tel Aviv, Agent Karami started supplying them with evidence of Gaber's crimes against children, prompting Israeli law enforcement to open their own investigation. After Agent Karami went back and forth with Israeli police for nine months, she finally received word that they were ready to make an arrest in July of 2011. And Agent Karami flew out from the U.S. to be there. Police in bulletproof vests stormed the apartment building Gaber shared with his mother, who was stunned as her son was put in cuffs and taken into custody. Officers began rummaging through all of his belongings. Agent Karami had been chasing this guy for a long time. And in the LA Times article, she described what she saw when she was finally face-to-face with him. She said, It looked like he hadn't showered for days. His nails were black. His eyes were all red and bloodshot, almost like somebody who stayed up all night. And in fact... Elad Gaber's mother, who is a biologist, 
confirmed to the police that Gabriel would in fact stay up all night on his computer and sleep all day, which is interesting because that correlates with the hours he typically preyed on children in America. Gabriel's room was described as a dark dungeon with the shutters closed as it was a sunny day outside. Police ultimately focused their attention on what would be their smoking gun, Gaber's computer and piles and piles of hard drives and disks. His name is Elad Gaber. He's the epitome of what you think of when you think of a creep on the internet. He just was like this dirty guy living in his mom's house up literally all night. I think the one of the reasons he targeted American children was because he was an insomniac and he would target people when it was nighttime in Israel. So it was daytime in America. In Gaber's room, the FBI found a staggering amount of evidence, including nearly five terabytes of files. And as far as the amount of data, to give you context, this was enough to crash the computer system that was used by the FBI for forensic analysis at the time, which is insane. Crazy. Crazy. And it would later be determined that 98% of that data qualified as child sexual exploitation material. And for each of his victims, he had meticulously organized folders, subfolders, and files, and many of them were labeled BM for blackmail. It was laid out as efficiently as a bookkeeper's ledger. And each folder included the child's name, the date he captured images to threaten her, her Facebook friends list, and then the videos he extorted from his victims. Right. Because while Christy told this guy to go fuck himself, not every child he targeted did. Many of his victims were so scared that he'd released the explicit images of them that they reluctantly agreed to cam with him. And the thing is, Alad Gaber, he's a liar. He's a pedophile. He's a criminal. So you know when he said all that stuff about these girls, all they have to do is cam with him, and then he'd go away and delete the original image of them? He lied. He would actually webcam with these girls, record that session, and then use this new, even more explicit material to blackmail them to do more meaning he'd coerce these child victims into doing this as many times as he wanted. A true monster. In the LA Times article, it was revealed that girls who went to the police and the police told them, sorry, we can't help you, went back and webcammed with him to stop him from doing it instead of the police doing it. It's so heartbreaking. When victims go to the police with internet sex crimes, sometimes the police don't care. But sometimes the police do care, but they don't have the resources, understanding, or jurisdiction to do anything about these crimes that are occurring right in front of them. Luckily, this case made it to an impassioned agent at the FBI, but so many online crimes never get the attention they deserve. During the raid at Gaber's apartment, in addition to all the evidence linking him to more than 150 underage victims in the U.S., the FBI also uncovered a video that Gaber secretly filmed of one of his teenage neighbors having sex with her boyfriend. And sorry, Gaber, because just like in the U.S., that shit is illegal in Israel, too. So before he would be extradited back to the U.S., he would be prosecuted for that crime, and he would serve six months for it. While it was in August of 2014 that Elad Gaber was federally indicted for his U.S. crimes, it would take more than five years to get him to the United States. And then he contested the extradition. But he was finally flown to Los Angeles, California in January of 2020, where he faced 68 counts of extortion, production of child pornography, and related crimes against 19 different victims. His victims ranged in age from 12 to 17 years old. I get the letter from the FBI in 2019, and that outlines the victims that were included in the charges. 
And I was able to read through the court documents and that really outlined what he did to all of them. That's also when I learned about his MO and what he did to a lot of the other victims. Christy learned that this guy had used 22 screen names to target children, and he would sometimes use catfish accounts to entice his targets to engage with him by using an avatar of a handsome, age-appropriate teen. These screen names included Ethan Hunt, David Clint, and Rach Hollis. When some of these children said no to him, he would send screenshots demonstrating how other victims who didn't comply had their lives ruined by him. So he'd use serious scare tactics to do this. One of the worst things that he did was started his own blog teaching other pedophiles how to extort girls on the internet. One victim who had her life destroyed by this guy was a young teen who refused to comply. To punish her, Gaber sent sexually explicit images to all of her friends. The harassment at school got so bad that her family sold their house and moved to another town. But then when she got to the new school, those kids got a hold of the material and the bullying kept going. That was just sort of when I saw the severity of how far he took it with some of these other girls. He actually ended up stealing the identity of a 16-year-old, like, surfer dude and used fake videos of this guy to, like, blackmail girls even further. I think he had over 100 different Facebook profiles or something crazy like that. He would ask that you do a one-on-one webcam chat with him, and he would make girls do things to themselves or their friends or him sexually, and he would record it. But he would use those recordings to further blackmail them. So these girls would be on webcam for him performing sexual acts for eight hours at a time. And then he would come back and make them do it again. And he's like, well, now I have more footage of you. And so he would just keep doing it until eventually he moved on to the next person. And when Christy learned all of this, she felt lucky for refusing to comply with this predator. Two of the girls were 12. I mean, their lives are ruined. You know, like, this is their life. And that breaks my heart. Like, I consider myself very lucky. I think only about 20 or so girls were included in the actual charges. And I asked them specifically, why me? Because... I feel very guilty that something worse didn't happen to me, even though something bad and awful happened to me. And it really messed me up in a lot of ways. And they said that my messages were the clearest example of blackmail that they had, because from the very beginning, I said no. And so that was what they used to charge him with blackmail. And that just made me feel a little like an important part of this case. Like we said, Alad Gaber was extradited to the U.S. in 2020. And there would be court proceedings, and Christie would be involved because Alad Gaber was being prosecuted for what he did to her. Remember, only um, 20-some victims were involved in the charges. And it would be held in L.A. because Stickham headquarters were here when the company was still active. So Christie was going to be actively involved. Court officials started engaging with Christy and some of the other victims to let them know what to expect and to mentally prepare them. We had a conference call to go over the case, and they said, this was the U.S. Attorney's Office, said, hey, if any victims are interested in being in a group chat, email me, and I'll give you each other's numbers, and you can just kind of go from there. Christy and the two other women who had been targeted by Gaber started a group text chain. That was the most 
the best thing that could have ever come out of this was these two girls and these friendships that I have with them. I literally went through this alone for the first 10 years of this experience. And I think befriending them makes me feel more like a survivor and made me feel so much more empowered and that this was about us. It's not about him. There would be no trial because Gaber would plead guilty to one count of use of a facility of interstate commerce to induce a minor to engage in criminal sexual activity. And while he only pled guilty to one count, he was facing hefty time. Gaber had a defense attorney who would help mitigate his sentence and get him as little time as possible. He hired Harvey Weinstein's lawyer, so he had a real good attorney. Right. And the defense clung to what they referred to as a, quote, mental defect as the reason Gaber deserved a lenient sentence. As far as the excuse for why Gaber was compelled to do all of these horrible things, Mike Finnegan for the LA Times covered the proceedings and he reported that Gaber had been, quote, drummed out of the Israeli military after two weeks due to his poor mental health and uh, also because he had autism. And that autism deprived him of the ability to understand how much pain he inflicted on his victims. Gaber's mother described her son as friendless and disheveled, and he had been for years. And she said, quote, it's hard to distinguish between right and wrong when you're so isolated, she said. His whole entire defense was that he has autism and could not understand what he was doing. So we know what the defense's strategy was, but the federal prosecutors had one, too. There would be victim impact statements read to demonstrate how damaging these crimes against children were to the victims. And while she knew it would be hard, Christy was very eager to read her statement. My fiancé and my therapist accompanied me to the federal courthouse. Me and the two girls that I became close with were the only three to show up, and I'm really glad that we did. But I felt like I have to do this for these other girls. But it was so hard to just put it all on paper. We go up to the U.S. Attorney's Office to just kind of settle in. I get to meet the girls for the first time. That was incredibly overwhelming. I just started crying. And then we were escorted down into the courtroom, and it was quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Finally, Christy was face-to-face with this predator that had caused her so much anguish. It was so nerve-wracking. I felt like my heart was going to beat out of my chest. I've never been more nervous or scared of something in my entire life. So we're escorted to these pews in the front row so we could see everything. And then he came in, shackled, hands and feet. And he just looked really sad. He just looked like a regular person, kind of. He had really long black hair. He was really pale and had some stubble. It was kind of hard because he looked so regular to me. I just cried because it, it was just really, really overwhelming, obviously, putting a face to the trauma, if you will, and a name to all of that, because he was really faceless for so long. And finally came the time for Christy to read her statement. I spent the entire year writing this victim impact statement, which... I think was about eight minutes long, read out loud in front of a courtroom full of people about something that I never talked about to anyone. Another woman who had been targeted by Gaber spoke that day as well, and she referred to what Gaber forced her to do as torture. Before elaborating about how it led to anxiety attacks, suicide attempts, and a decade of therapy that has still failed to relieve her pain. That's heartbreaking. And guess what? As difficult as it was to face this monster in court and read the statement, 
it definitely worked. So he was sentenced to the maximum, which was 30 years in federal prison plus lifetime supervised release. And that is like an unheard of sentencing, allegedly for an Internet crime. But because the three of us showed up and read these statements, the U.S. Attorney's Office just said that they think that really pushed the judge over the edge to give him the maximum. So from where I'm sitting, obviously, Christy is the number one hero. But a close second for me is Agent Taz Karami and bringing this guy to justice because there are so many cases. We get so many emails about this from people who need help, who have no resources. So this case could have been passed to some agent who had a bigger case and didn't care. But this woman really pushed this thing across the finish line because by the time Gaber was sentenced... She'd been on the case for more than a decade, and she'd been promoted to supervisory special agent. She worked in the FBI's International Violent Crimes Unit, then switched to international corruption. She easily could have handed this case off to somebody else, someone new, but she didn't because it was important to her to see it through. Elad Gaber thought he was invincible because he was on the other side of the world. In fact, he taunted Christie in one of his messages about it. Your cops can't get me. I'm on the other side of the world. But this tenacious FBI agent proved him very, very wrong. Justice is so weird. Like, what is justice? You know, I feel like we got as much justice as was possible in this situation. And I feel empowered that I do think that I was part of that. And I feel like I helped these other girls as well. You know, I really motivated them and was a rock for them. And that's all I want for other victims is to just feel like you have this voice and to use it. And while confronting the monster who hurt her was empowering, his sentence couldn't undo the trauma Christy had endured. Once her statement was read and the perp was in jail, the whole thing hit her like a ton of bricks. I spend two years leading up to this hearing where I'm going to read my trauma and I just spend those two years preparing, preparing, preparing. And then it happens. And then it's, And then what? You just crash. And I definitely experienced that crash. This set my mental health back briefly. I'm not going to lie. It it was extremely triggering to my PTSD. I, I had a really hard rest of the year after reading this. And my therapist and I talked about how I wasn't able to grieve until this happened. And I feel like that too. I feel like for 10 years, I'm anticipating this. It's in the back of my mind, even if I'm not actively thinking about it. I was still talking about it in some capacity. I'm somebody that just really wants to get better. And part of Chrissy's healing process involves talking about what she's gone through and educating others about what she experienced. And that's where the first degree came in. The first degree is actually a big piece of the puzzle for me because of the Facebook group. I had actually posted in there and I said, oh, my God, you guys listen to this crazy FBI story. After the hearing, I took a picture in front of the federal building, giving the middle finger and posted it in the first degree Facebook group and just kind of shared the story. And it was the first time that I felt empowered and like a survivor. The response that I got from the first degree fans versus regular everyday people was amazing. It was so empowering. And I felt like I was meant to be involved in this in the capacity that I was. I was meant to stand up for these other girls. And just I I just really want to spread awareness about this. Christy has some parting words of wisdom. 
sex crimes are never the victim's fault. It doesn't matter what they did. I, I could be walking around naked and you do not have the right to touch me. I can post my nudes on the internet and you do not have the right to blackmail me. I actually quoted Paris Hilton in my victim impact statement because she said that when her sex tape was leaked, it felt like she was being electronically raped and that it was a private moment of a teenage girl just not in her right headspace. For parents and just anybody on the internet, I don't wish that my parents had been hovering over me 24-7. I just wish that they had done more research on the internet and had been more present with my internet presence. And I think parental controls are important and I think kids will rebel against that to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, you're keeping them safe from God knows what. There are things that we can do to keep ourselves safe. And I also just want law enforcement to take the internet more seriously because it's obviously such an integral part of our lives in 2022. The law is just so murky in that area. And I think it's time that it gets cleared up. The moral of this story is that Christy won. 39-year-old Elad Gaber is a perpetrator who is sitting behind bars for over 30 years. And Christy got everything she's ever wanted. She's still living in LA and she's 28 now and she's engaged to the man of her dreams and they're in the midst of planning her wedding. This monster, this idiot, this asshole, this pedophile did not win. And if we can learn, evolve, and urge law enforcement to take these internet crimes seriously, we can put these pedophile predators exactly where they belong in federal lockup. Well, huge thank you to Christy for sharing her story. I love you and I'll see you soon. If you are listening to this podcast and you have a story to tell, please email us. Hello at the first You can follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group and join our Patreon because we have lots of fun bonus content coming for you every single week and check back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Happy French Friday. And Fool's Paradise or whatever it was. Shout out to Jared Monica for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland. This episode was researched and written by yours truly. Research sources I used were court documents, the LA Times, court listener, FBI.gov, departmentofjustice.gov, and as always, Christy, you angel. Our First Degree is always our largest source. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.